0: This is Shaping the Future by Regent Street, brought to you directly from the iconic London Street itself and launched to celebrate its 200th anniversary year. Our modern world and everyday experiences are constantly being formed and informed by cultural influences around us. From traditions of old to the incoming tides of technology and emerging trends in fashion, art, food and well-being, This podcast celebrates how Regent Street is leading the way with these cultural forces and their impact on places now and in the future. I'm Elizabeth Day, journalist, podcaster and cultural magpie, and I'll be interviewing industry leaders making pioneering contributions to the world around us. Hello, welcome to Shaping the Future by Regent Street, and today's episode is all about wellness. And in the studio with me, I have three experts in their field. I have Claire Sanderson, who is the editor-in-chief of Women's Health magazine. I have Lauren Arms, who's the founder of Well to Do Global, and I have Lindsay Baer, the regional director for Lululemon. It is such a pleasure to have three such inspiring women here today, all looking very on brand and very, very well, I might add. Thank you so much, for coming. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Lauren, can I start with you? I mean, what kind of expansion have we seen in the wellness space, particularly in reference to retail over the last five years?
1: So one of the statistics that gets thrown around a lot is the valuation of the wellness industry on a global basis. So um, the Global Wellness Institute says that it's worth $4.2 trillion, which is bonkers. And that really covers such a diverse range of industry subsectors. So we're talking everything from fitness to food and drink to nutrition, right through to travel, workplace wellness, mental health, meditation, yoga. I mean, I could go on and on. So when you think about how that has changed the retail landscape over the last five years in combination with the impact of technology and just the shift to online purchasing, I suppose what I've seen is the implementation of a lot of more experiential marketing strategies. So how do we get people to come to the high street, to come into retail spaces and experience wellness? And wellness is one of those subject matters that's so emotionally driven. It's something that is so personal. And so creating experiences around wellness is fundamental to, to the future of retail. And I think we've really seen that with um, incredible brands pioneering community events, festivals, um, coming into store to actually experience what natural organic beauty looks like or what fitness looks like. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk about how Lululemon, for example, have done that. But you know, coming in- to store to not only, you know, look at a, a, a retail product, but also experience that product. So a great example would be not only buying leggings in a retail environment, but putting them on and actually doing the yoga class and interacting with people to discover what wellness actually means. I love the idea of interacting with the
0: concept of wellness. And as you say, Lululemon has really been a pioneer in that respect, especially with the flagship Regent Mm -hmm. Street store, because Mm -hmm. I know you do yoga lessons and all sorts there. So, Lindsay, can you tell us a bit about Lululemon's approach to this? Yeah,
2: we were really experiential before it was a thing. We started above a yoga studio and we would give pants and say, hey, go practice in these and try them on and let us know what you think. Um And then we made adjustments and that really is in our DNA. So that's always been a part of who we are. And um Regent Street is a beautiful manifestation of um what we now call the sweat life is sweat grow and connect because we know that caters to
0: the whole person. Claire, as the editor-in-chief of Women's Health UK, you've seen that because as a magazine you have grown and grown and grown, which is exceptional in your particular area of media, isn't it?
3: It absolutely is, yes. So Women's Health has recorded a 13th consecutive growth on the newsstand in ABC circulation figures. That's an amazing achievement in a very challenged environment. And we're not only growing on the newsstand, which, as I said, is an achievement. So people are going to the newsstand and picking up the magazine, but we're growing exponentially as a brand. So events, we had Women's Health Live last year. Over 6,000 women came along over three days. It, on, on social, it looked incredible. We had world-leading experts. Not just fitness experts, but neuroscientists, sociolinguists, gut health experts—all sort of aspects of holistic wellness—in one room, and it was an amazing success. We're growing with um, brand extensions in terms of products and product licensing, so people really want to engage with women's health as a brand, and that's just representative of how wellness has grown in a on a trajectory that no one could have predicted, I would argue. So, you know, you have to look at the boutique gyms now, where women are thinking nothing of spending twenty. Eight pounds to go to a class. You know, they are spending more, it's their social life, it's their social currency. So, in my 20s, social currency for me was Old Compton Street drinking cocktails, you know, and then going to fabric after or something. And, you know, thankfully there was no social media so there's very little evidence of, of me misbehaving in my 20s. Well, we used to take those, you know, little disposable cameras but no one got them developed so that's fine. But, but now everything's on social media so social currency is which um, beauty class you're going to. So, are you going to boom soul cycle? You've you literally can't book into cycle at the moment because it is so successful so that's the way wellness is going and I think it's not only fitness people are looking at it holistically so people are very um, aware of their their mental health much more so than ever especially the younger generations much more than when I was in my 20s so I think people are eating better they're looking after themselves they're practicing self-care they're um, being mindful just in every aspect of their life they're, they're being more strict with themselves and leaving work on time when saying no. People are feeling empowered to say no. And I think just generally wellness is, is exploding and shows no sign of slowing down.
0: So interesting that. And I have to say, you
3: mentioned Soul Cycle. I love Cycle. And I've been there
0: for years now. And it is the entire experience. Yeah. It's not just going to the spin class, it's going for a smoothie afterwards. It's being able to work there because there's free Wi-Fi. Yeah. that idea of connecting in real life. Could you talk us through some of the things Lululemon has done in your Regent Street store that have had that at its very ethos?
2: Yeah, well, we're a decentralized model. So we empower our store teams to create in a way that is locally relevant. So like in Frankfurt, we opened a studio inside of the space because there weren't a lot of studios in Frankfurt. And in Regent Street, we realized what the local guests needed was um, people who were commuting and moving through the space and didn't necessarily need a studio because there is Soul Cycle, there's cycle that are right there. And what they needed were things like the base where we could host these really intimate conversations ar- around wellness and really in-depth conversations. So because we are decentralized we're able to be agile and then speak to the needs of the guests, and that's locally relevant. We just opened the base, but um, the last thing we did was a panel there with all kinds of DNI people who are in the conversation around access to wellness. So that that was the last thing that we did, and then we just did Summer Streets, where we had a local gym come in. And they took over Regent Street, which was an incre- incredible um, event and experience.
3: It yeah, it was very really hard. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. you chose a tough one. And I think what what people really like about that is. <laughs> Um, there's a craving for kinetic brands and people don't want uh, like the blandification of brands and the Manor was the one that was hosting and they are an example of a very kinetic brand. They're raw, they're real and, and people respond to that and, it, and it's been really positive and they've grown really quickly.
3: Because that was a real celebration of wellness, that event, Summer Streets. I took part in the competition at three o'clock in the afternoon with the ambassadors. So Lulu Lehem and have ambassadors, which I'm sure you hear more about. So I was on an ambassador team. So these were all extremely fit people and I was kind of the weak link but you know I'm sure that's well, not true well you know I, I held my own you know but um it was a real celebration of, of fitness and wellness because they 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 had a sort of a square didn't you outside the store mm-hmm. and it was about five deep at mm-hmm. every angle of of spectators just people come and clap in complete unknowns you know it's not like we were celebrities or athletes or you know but it was and people got really engaged mm-hmm. with it and it was such a fun event and a, a real credit to Lululemon and Regent Street actually for putting on something like like that because it wasn't a pretty event, I have to say the manner. You know, it was it was hardcore. It was on a skier, it was on an assault bike, it was D balls, it was a proper sweat fest. But I think people just really, really engaged with it. And I know you've got other brands coming on different mm-hmm. on different weekends, but it was it was such a credit to Regent Street and Lululemon, that event. So it's such good fun.
2: Well I think people want to feel and um, that's how we orchestrate our pants too in and design our pants is how do you want to feel in
0: that and so we really get that. And they are they look so comfortable and just it feels like Not only is Lululemon experiential, but you have an experience wearing your clothes. Absolutely, Mm. yeah. The first time I put them on, I went to sleep. Um, uh, But they're designed
2: so that we all want to feel a certain way. And there's different levels of compression and and how we weave the fabric. And this one specifically doesn't have a high level of compression. So that's why it's designed to feel like you're naked, like you're not wearing anything. And then we have ones where if you were competing in a sweat fest, as you called it, you'd probably want to feel like locked and loaded. And, And so those are designed totally differently.
0: And Claire, you mentioned earlier that idea that when we were younger, we were going to fabric and drinking lots of expensive cocktails, but now the trends have changed. What do you think lies behind that change? And why are people willing to spend
3: like £28 to go to a spin class? I do think social media has got a lot to do with it, because I do think um, young people are being confronted with imagery of themselves, a lot of the time which they can't control, which has been taken by other people and they've been tagged in. And they're confronted with a a, a daily reflection of of what they look like. And I think people just want to, be healthier and and look better as a result. So I do think it's got a lot to do with social media, and I think there's a lot more education around there uh, around as well. You know, when when we were younger, the wellness information out there was if you want to lose weight, cut calories. That was about it. You know, I think people are realizing the nutrition is far more multifaceted than that. So I just think it's an education piece where I do think social media and just media in general. You know, when I was growing up, there was four TV. Uh, channels, you know, the terrestrial. Then, then Channel Five come, that was exciting, and then Sky was like, oh my goodness. But, but now there's there's just so much media to consume. So I think it's the media is primarily and also just an education piece. We're so the same generation. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I also think
0: that, for instance, the Nike store, if you look at that at the top of Regent Street, and recently they've had uh, plus-size models, and yeah. um, plus-size mannequins, mm-hmm. and I was looking in the window this morning, and the women that they use to sell their clothes look strong Mm. rather than skinny Mm. and that feels like not that there's anything wrong with being skinny if you're also healthy but it
3: just feels like there's so much more diversity in terms of what we're seeing in store and what's promoted yeah i think the aesthetic of women now is so much broader than it ever has been you know you you've got these amazing crossfit women who look so strong and Mm. so capable and so amazing in my opinion and you've got these these curvy, amazing women. Wellness looks different on everybody. You know, if you only got to go on Instagram and there's people like Jada Cesar, who's amazing, and she ran the marathon last year with Brian in her underwear to prove that wellness looks different on everyone. I just think there's society generally, wellness is becoming more diverse. I think that's a big trend in, in wellness at the moment, actually. I think it's becoming more diverse. I think people are realising you don't need to be size eight and ripped with, with shredded abs to, to be well. And it looks different on everybody. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And women's health, the magazine specifically,
0: you've again been at the forefront in in showcasing different body types on the cover, haven't you?
3: Well, it's it's a slow process. Um, Our cover star at the moment is slightly curvy than we're going to. It's it's my ambition to to mix it up going forward. And and it's baby steps, but definitely the content inside is more diverse than it ever has been. And that is something we'll we'll continue. Likewise, on the website as well. Wellness is much more than
1: just the aesthetic nowadays. Like Most people enter into the wellness sphere thinking, I want to get fit and healthy and it might be like a January kickstart or something that promotes that but then actually beyond that once you start to feel fit and healthy you're thinking okay what's what more is there to this and I think that's why we're seeing now you know things like personal growth and um, mental well-being and meditation and you know how happy you are at work and and all of those questions enter into that wellness conversation because it's not just about your Mm. physical um, aesthetic anymore it's how do you really feel inside and you can find a you know a really strong fit woman who is deeply unhappy and Mm. and equally for men as well so I think it's it's quite powerful that that conversation is extending beyond the aesthetic and Mm. I'm sure you see that in your content as well Claire.
3: Yeah absolutely well we did research in women's health the year before last asking our audience what were the main reasons they came to Women's Health. And nutrition was the primary pillar, no surprise there. The second one was mental health content. Hmm. It wasn't fitness, it was mental health. And that was two years ago. And I'm not saying it would be the primary pillar if we were to redo that research now, but it would definitely still be the second pillar. Because uh, people are realising once you sort your head out, the rest will follow. So I guess it's interesting to ask all three of you whether you think calling
0: this a wellness trend is kind of a negative thing because you don't want it just to be a trend. Mm. Do You want it to be long-lasting. An evolution.
3: Yeah, a long-lasting
0: yeah. life change.
3: Yes, absolutely. And I do think that is happening though. I don't think, yeah, it's, it's belittling it to call it a trend because once you go on that wellness journey, not many people would then jump off so catastrophically that they go down the eating bacon everyday route you know <laughs> so I, I think it's happening I think it is evolving I, mean, I need to look at where I'm from in the South Wales valleys but people are out running and people are going to the gym whereas when I I've always trained but 10 years ago five years ago I would be the only woman in the gym or I would cars would literally slow down because if they saw me out running because it was that unusual to see a woman running.
0: And Lindsay can I come back to you because we were talking about the the design of Lululemon clothes and how they make you feel. So I'm someone who at school, I always thought I hated exercise. I hated Mm. sport. And then I realised it wasn't I hated exercise. I hated how intimidated I was Mm. by team activities. And it was actually finding the exercise that was right for me. But there was still a point where I went to my first spin class or I went to my first yoga class where I felt so intimidated. And how much does Lululemon try to sort of dissolve the intimidation that someone might feel walking across your threshold?
2: Yeah, I think like you said, it's uh, it's slower than I would like it to be. And we're very aware of it. And the work that we do inside of our communities, because like I said, we're decentralized. So our teams are inside of their communities and building really organic, authentic relationships. And so we have that component where our communities and those relationships are a true reflection of what's happening in the wellness space. And we also have a responsibility to put people on a platform um, to show that you don't have to look a certain way just to access wellness. And then we have some social impact programs, too, where we support. It's called Here to Be, and we actually support giving people access that normally wouldn't have access in communities that are maybe disenfranchised or just don't traditionally have access to health and wellness. So
0: That's amazing. Yeah, we do a lot of work there. How important do you think that is, Lauren, in terms of brands going forwards to have an ethical strand to their business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think going beyond just a product or service as a commercial entity, um, I think the statistics now show that purpose-driven companies in the UK grow, I think it's 28% faster than the economic growth average. And that says to me that the consumer nowadays is demanding more than just a product and service. They demand transparency. They want to know where the product was made, how it was made, who was involved in that supply chain, how it got to you as the consumer and the, the impact beyond just that experience in store. So um, that applies across the board to wellness products and services. And I think it comes off the back of a more conscious consumer. So that's a, a real trend that we highlight in our work um, at well to do is that the next generation, you know, whether it's millennials or, or Gen Z or whatever they're calling them these days, they demand more from a brand than ever before. They demand honesty. They demand integrity. And so, you know, I, I think that that has to come through in, in their successful brand story nowadays. What what are the values and what's the culture at the heart of that brand that makes it genuinely authentic? And authenticity is one of those buzzwords in the wellness industry right now. You can't fake authenticity, you know, by nature. That, that means being real and, and um, I think practicing what you preach as a wellness brand as well. I have to say, I love the well-to-do daily
0: email briefing. As, as as a job being a journalist, like I've got lots of stories from there about <laughs> upcoming trends. And I wanted to throw that question out to all three of you. What trends are you most excited about seeing in this space in the next five to ten years? Claire, can I start with you?
3: Yeah, I think tech is exploding, you know. VR, virtual reality. Lauren and I went to the Global Wellness Summit last year at the Technogym headquarters, which have this wellness village in Bologna in Italy and the tech in the staff gym was incredible wasn't it it was absolutely incredible it was 100 times better than any gym i've ever been in in my entire life and i've been into quite a few gyms both here in new york so um and it was just amazing you know um we we're, we're both rowers and you could you could sit on the rowers there and it's like you're rowing in open water with a massive floor to ceiling screen and they had this thing called skills athletic which is like a circuit class but you're all hooked up to this screen and it's following your movements and your heart rate and I think there's going to be in the not too distant future. At the moment, we have Peloton and Fit, where you can work up in your living room. But I genuinely think there's going to be like a personal trainer in your living room with mm. you, like a, a, a like a, a hologram. Five, yeah, a hologram. Something. Yeah, I think I think that's what's going to happen. Is but I'm sure that it's it's not too far off. You know, I think I think it's tech which is going to make it more accessible for everyone. If you don't live in London and you don't are not lucky enough to live in Manhattan, and you can still take part in these classes or work with top trainers from your living room.
2: Great Lindsay? <laughs> yeah. Personally, I think the it almost goes to what you were speaking about of the transcendental wealth of conscientious luxury consumers no longer just see traditional wealth streams as the foremost currency. So their currencies in longevity, it's an optimization, and and uh, I think that'll be a really fascinating and how it impacts our sleep, the technology that'll go around it, and and what we value and. In, in, Mark as the measure of success. I don't think it's just going to be economic growth. Mm.
1: I I think off the back of both of what you were saying, Lindsay and Claire, the personalization of wellness is the most powerful trend that we see. And Mm. you know, I'm wearing a watch right now that looks like a normal watch but is actually measuring so much of what's going on in my body. And it's it's that technology that is evolving such that I just had a delivery this month from a company who came to my office, took a blood sample, personalized a nutrition supplement for me and sent me something that will actually do something for my body. So I'm now not wasting money on nutrition supplements that aren't going to have an impact. And I think that personalization element of well-being will finally give us access to functional wellness tools and resources that will change our lives in measurable ways. And that's exciting for a more educated consumer, but it's also exciting for someone who doesn't understand how wellness will impact their body. And there are, let's face it, you know, still epidemics of obesity and diabetes and stress-related illness that are almost, you know, preventable if people were more educated on how how to better look after themselves. So it's that personalization element that's coming through tech and different ways in which we measure our well-being that I think is going to change the landscape for me. Are you taking those nutritional supplements now? Yes. Are they working? Can you feel a difference? It's so tricky, isn't it? Because I I often say this and I say this to the girls in our office because we're trying new things all the time. Nothing ever feels instantly life changing, right? But incrementally, I think, you know, I am someone who looks after myself. So it's not like overnight I had gigantic levels of new energy, but but I do feel well and I do feel more energised. I don't know about you, Claire, because you probably try things all the time as (laughs) well, but it's difficult to ever measure uh, an actual change but what's interesting is when I got the second set of blood tests back because they come and test you again there were evidentiary measures that had increased so whether that was I had a better level of magnesium in my body which is ultimately better for recovery from training and that's something that may have not I may not have felt different as a result of but it's that measurable actual scientific based evidence that I think is probably more powerful than anything else sounds amazing
0: I need to sign up for that immediately. A lot of this is quite expensive and possibly out of reach of a lot of people around the country who don't live in London. Do you think that that's going to change and it is going to become something that is more accessible?
3: I think social media makes it accessible to people who can't afford to go to these classes anyway, because you can download free workouts from mm. from any, follow any of these influencers anyone from Alice Living to Laura Hoggins or Women's Health UK, and there's free workouts there. But the challenge is encouraging these people to actually do them and giving them the the confidence to do so. There's been research saying that one of the biggest barriers women of a lower socioeconomic income face when doing sport is that don't feel they have the right kit. Now, it can be as simple as a sports bra. If you're above a, a B cup or even an A cup, it's, it's, it's painful if you, if you don't have a sports bra on. And also, it's just the confidence to do it as well. If you, if you feel you're out of shape, there is nothing more terrifying than going for a run. So, but there's research by Sport England, the This Girl Can campaign, that says children brought up in a household where the mum exercises—and I'm not saying the fathers are relevant—but this was research by This Girl Can, so was focusing on women. Children brought up in a household where the mum exercises are more likely to exercise themselves, both as children and through to adulthood. So my plea to any woman would be... Put yourself first, because as women, we're selfless, aren't we? We put our partners first, our friends, our sisters, our parents, our children. And we come so far down the peck in order that we struggle to find time, or a lot of women struggle to find time. But the biggest measures I want to get through, as the Editor-in-Chief of Women's Health, is to put yourself first and make time. Because not only will it benefit you mentally and physically, but it will benefit and influence those around you. But price is a barrier, absolutely. But the 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 crazy class prices, and I do think they're crazy. And I live and work in London, are London centric. You know, you know, they're not facing that level of financial um, barriers if you step outside of London. You know, in where I'm from in South Wales, there's a spinning studio in the local sports centre, so there are there is affordable options there. I think that it's but the biggest barrier is convincing people to actually make the first step
0: and what about wellness that moves beyond the kind of physical workout and just sort of shops and brands that lead you through a sort of story and they invite you to work in their spaces and does lululemon do that do they how do you feel about people turning up to your store with a laptop and just yeah. Sessing out there all day. Absolutely. We actually just opened a massive experiential store in Lincoln
2: Park in Chicago in the U.S. and it fosters to all of these aspects of the whole person and we're very aware that we can be a part of someone's full day because it is that whole person aspect. It's like I said sweat, grow and connect because those are the things that bring you alive and I think we enter markets and access people through sweat but re- what really hooks is that we are a purpose driven brand and we have been from the get-go and that comes through in our grow which is we have tons of vision and goal resources that we support communities with and talks and and those show up inside of our stores for sure.
0: And and Lauren have you seen that as well people wanting to use spaces for multiple purposes not just working out
1: Yeah absolutely and I think one of the biggest shifts is if you ask a young person nowadays what they want to be when they grow up it's things like an influencer a youtuber an entrepreneur you know young people want to have that freedom and flexibility in their in terms of their professional aspirations so it's no surprise that the way in which we shop and experience retail is changing to accommodate those needs. And if that means that someone's going to come into your physical retail space because you've provided a place for them to sit and interact or have a meeting or, you know, engage in some kind of community activity, even if it's, you know, partaking in a panel conversation or uh, some kind of experiential event like that, then that's a positive thing for the high street. And I think that's really what's going to get people to to return to that retail environment is making spaces that actually work for them and their lifestyle choices. And you know, there's this sort of term "laptop lifestyle," which is very desirable for a young person to not be confined to the traditional cubicle office base. To be able to have a job where you can go and sit in a trendy coffee shop, or go and sit in a lemon store, or whatever it might be, or um, as we were saying before, you know, go to a spin class and then catch up on some emails afterwards. So If a retailer is not providing that, then they're missing out on, you know, what really is kind of a lifestyle demand for a lot of young people nowadays.
0: I personally never want to work in an office again, having gone (laughs) freelance about three years ago. And the other great benefit of going freelance is that you can go to exercise classes in the middle of the day when there's hardly anyone else, which is, uh, I'm very privileged to be able to do that. But can I talk, um, Lindsay, about wellness for employees? What does Lululemon do for its own staff? Oh my gosh. I feel so lucky
2: and privileged. Um, We actually have a studio inside of our head office in London. So we have ambassadors that you're speaking to that are representatives in the community of incredible athletes that we're in partnership with and creatives. Um, And so they teach classes in in our head office. And then also we support our employees. So we actually fund them to go and take classes and pay for those classes. And that could be meditation, but it also could be
0: cycle. I mean, I said I didn't want to work in an office, but maybe I do want to work. Oh yeah, (laughs) it's pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Claire, what about we? We mentioned technology earlier, but what about specifically virtual reality? What impact is that going to have in this space?
3: Much what I said earlier. I think it will make super high-end classes and super elite trainers much more accessible to the likes that would never normally have access to them but maybe financially or geographically so I think it's been bringing it into people's homes and it is already happening you know fit is uh, been an enormous success um it's fiIT fit by the way um that's peloton launched here and has been an incredible success I believe peloton is bringing treadmills am I am i right in saying that yeah so um and it, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and the at the moment is quite it's quite expensive to invest in some of that technology by the way but I think the price point will count down when more people get into the market.
0: Mm. So a Peloton treadmill, is there
1: someone encouraging you to run? You would yes. essentially have
3: your treadmill at home in your yeah. living room
1: and then you would pay a subscription fee to yeah. their platform, which is content to support that. So in some cases it would be live content. So with their bike right now, um, a Peloton bike would be supported by a live spin class. So mm. if you're based in Liverpool or, you know, you're outside of, of London and you can't access the boutique studios that we've been talking about, then you're
3: essentially accessing the that in a digital format mm. and it can be a class in like new york or something yeah exactly. yeah and the and the riders will do shout outs saying hey sharon in liverpool good to good to have you on board <laughs> that's great again yeah, that's supposed to be amazing yeah connecting isn't it yeah
0: yeah i'm very aware that that two of the women i'm talking to are, are not from britain do you think there's a difference between? Canadian, Australian, American perceptions of wellness and fitness from British?
1: So I grew up on the Gold Coast in Australia where, if you imagine that, for most of you probably, you know, picturing fit bronzed bodies. And I, I can't lie, that's sort of what the culture is there. And if you think about wellness, it, it, the perception of wellness is probably more... Um, from a sense of kind of sport engagement. So you're, if I think about what wellness was for me growing up, it was playing cricket on the beach. It was surfing. It was playing netball on the netball courts after school. And that's why when I moved to the UK, I didn't realize that I was into wellness in inverted commas. So I guess the perception is different because it is inherently an outdoor lifestyle. When I moved to the UK and had to adapt to just the weather here for, as you know, as one element of it, you're drawn to indoor experiences. So you're drawn to how can you replicate that emotion of being energised and and partaking in community driven sports in an indoor environment. And that's why the boutique fitness studio does so well in the UK, because people want to go to those places after work where they can get the endorphin rush and or get the meditative experience um, in an environment where, you know, it's being celebrated and driven by other like-minded people and where that connection can take place. So it's the same thing but just in, in a different format in my mind.
0: So obviously Regent Street was one of the first kind of planned shopping areas when it was first built and I wonder whether you think that how cities and shopping areas are built in the future are going to be built around these fitness experiences Mm -hmm. whereas in the past they might have been built around the pub or a big department store for want of a better example. Claire do you think it will shift?
3: Uh, Well it is shifting isn't it so uh, absolutely you know um I would be amazed if there was a new shopping center built without at least two workout areas in there of some description. So it it, it is shifting, absolutely. You know, it's, it's such a big part of many people's lives in major cities now. Any planner would be foolish to ignore it.
0: And just finally, I'd love to ask you all, for people listening to this podcast who want to incorporate wellness into their daily lives, will you share with us your favourite thing to do from a wellness or fitness perspective on a daily or
1: twice weekly basis? Can I start with you, Lauren? Oh, this is a big question. I'm not going to say start my day with hot water and lemon, although that would be very cliche. <laughs> do you um, start your day with hot no, water No, I lemon? don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I'd love to say that I did. Um, do you know what? I The two things that I think are impacting our society the most going forward are mental health and climate change. I think they're the two for me of the most interesting and topical conversations. So meditation, I think, was once a sort of weird hippie movement, now is should be a daily practice for people. And if it's not, that's something that I would encourage people to explore because we're such a stressed generation. And for me, it's been life changing. How did you get into meditation? Did you use an app? So I did. I I originally started with Headspace, which is such a good tool and app for beginners. And there are so many others like that, Calm, um, that offer free meditation. And then um, there's an amazing group in London called the London Meditation Centre, and they run Vedic meditation courses where you go for a weekend and you have an immersive experience in learning how to meditate with other normal everyday people. They make it really accessible. They give you the tools so that you never need an app again. And that way you can meditate wherever you are, whenever. you need that kind of dose of just calm breathing and checking back in with yourself. Do you tend to meditate at the same time every day? I do. I start the day with meditation. So it's the first thing I do when I get up, brush my teeth, have a drink of water and then meditate. So inspiring because it's one of those things that I want to do and have never
0: quite Done, I go through phases. And I think, I, weirdly, I find it a bit intimidating.
1: Yeah, and that's understandable. I think that for me, the powerful thing was learning what impact it would have on my life. So having a motivation for doing it. So for me, it was that my day would be more efficient, more structured, and that I would be able to focus more on the things that I wanted to achieve. And because that's now my motivation, I I've tend to stick with it. But also now that I feel that I have the tools to do it wherever I want to do it, um, that was a, a big conversation contributor for me as well so going and doing a course to learn how to do it with normal everyday people was really helpful
0: fascinating thank you what about you Lindsay uh
2: I mean, I personally do so many things and what I would say is connection is why we're here on the planet and it's what adds value to our life. And I think if you break the script, especially if you live in a big city like London, instead of like just putting your head down and getting on the tube and going to work and then going home, but you break the script and you surround yourself with people who value wellness, who value a good laugh, there's... That trumps anything you could do for your mental and physical health, and it's more likely that you'll engage in healthy activities as well, um, regardless if you have access. Like to form a habit and having people surround that are surrounding that are going to hold you accountable to working out to to just moving your body. I think that that trumps
0: everything without feeling guilty. I think that's the key, isn't it? Absolutely, you want to do it rather than feeling you should. Yeah. And Claire, can I? Come to you last.
3: Yes, mine mine is very simply exercise. I I exercise my mental health. I have a history of, of depression, very serious depression. I've been in hospital. So for me, I have to work out to look after my mental health as well as my physical health. And I have to do it in the morning because if I let my day start without exercising the day will get in the way, and then i won't go so and strength training is my go to although I love hit classes and I go to bar as well, but I love feeling strong, I love the fact that I can hip thrust twice my own body weight and deadlift more than I weigh, and I just love how that makes me feel. And then one piece of advice a good friend of mine gave me. He was an officer in the army and has always been incredibly fit. She said the hardest thing about working out is putting your kit on, because once you put your kit on, you will go. Is that you're very unlikely to put your lulus on and go. Oh, I feel great in this. My bum looks lovely, and then and then not go <laughs> that's to the gym. So true. So that's my mum says that too. Claire. Yeah, she's like, if you're ever struggling, just put your shoes on, and yes, then you'll be on your way. <laughs> exactly. So I'm I've, like Laura Meditates. I get up clean my face, wash my teeth, my kit is on and then I, I will go. You've got to leave it out, don't you? Yeah, I leave it out the night before <laughs> much like I pack my, my sort of work bag, my, all my kit is yeah. and and I do like wearing really good quality kit like Lululemon so that makes you feel amazing as well and if you feel great in your kit you're more likely to want to work mm. out as well.
0: I think that's totally the key and ha- having as fewer decisions as you have to make the morning that you're working out yeah. so your workout gear is there, you know what you're doing you barely have to think and you just get yourself into a space yeah. where you start the day on a Really positive note exactly yes thank you all so much that was completely fascinating i could carry on talking for several days but then it would get in the way of our wellness routines so thank you so so much claire sanderson Lindsay bear and lauren arms thank you thank, thank you. you thank you so much for tuning into shaping the future by regent street if you've enjoyed this episode then please do take a minute to rate review and subscribe it really does help other people to find the show. Follow more Regent Street happenings at Regent w one on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Otherwise, head over to RegentStreetOnline.com for more detailed information. This has been Shaping the Future by Regent Street. With me, your host, Elizabeth Day.